Hello and welcome to our 22nd Spool.ie podcast. I'm Nigel and with me as always is Mr. Pork McHugh. Hello. It's number 22 and it's not going to be a 22nd podcast. You know, that'll be very short. Yes. Yeah. Or oh, 22nd. That's very good. He's good. Uh, on the agenda this month, we review a bit of Tribe from Liam Neeson and Denzel Washington and talk about a load of other new and current releases. In the second part of the show, we'll be doing our uh, fifth, uh, fourth Watch with Spool where we look at two classic documentaries and we'll also be talking about the Stanley Kubrick season and previewing the month ahead so let's kick off with a bit of dodgy denzel then cool had enough because i can keep going brick by brick dollar by dollar body by body or you can call your boss and tell him to shut down his operation tonight when you look at me what do you see the answer is nothing i have no feelings about you one way or the other you're like like lint or a bottle cap, just a thing to remove. Um, yeah, so this comes out, or was out, this past weekend. And um, it is probably, from my money, one of the worst films of the year. I know you probably would put Transformers up there, but I think Transformers fulfills so much of what it does. It employs half of the visual effects artists in the world um, for a year or two at a time. Um, whereas the Equalizer... Uh, it's so bad and it's so pointless and boring and yeah. stupid. Anyway, Denzel Washington plays Robert McCall, who is a retired special agent from the I suppose, CIA, yeah. who's trying to just lead a normal life, work as a floor manager type person in a hardware shop. An American B&Q, whatever A giant, it is. yeah, Home Depot style thing. Um, but he can't help getting involved in helping people because he's a good old soul. So he ends up uh, murdering lots of people. Um, and that's kind of it you know and he goes kills a few people in trying to defend Chloe a, Grace Moretz and so there's a stupid plot point where his wife has died and she was reading 100 books uh, so he started to read the 100 books as well and he goes to this cafe and yeah, he doesn't seem to sleep is that the boss no, yeah. he doesn't need sleep he's a robot he meets um, he, Chloe Grace Moretz plays a prostitute um, and she's getting beaten Terry. about mm. by her pimp and people she works for so then he decides to be like oh I'm going to save this and eventually decides to take down the whole of the Russian mafia in America in the <coughs> space of what feels like four hours but is more yeah. like two the film is actually two hours and ten minutes which is another thing uh, you, uh, producer Colin you and I we all went and saw this and um it's one of these they put on these events sometimes kind of a launch event and we're lucky enough to go to some of them where they give you you always know how good the film's going to be whether, by whether they give you free drink mm-hmm. so this was unlimited free drink <laughs> yeah. for the one hour beforehand so we're like alright we'll have our you know our two or three shandies and then we'll head in but that couldn't even save it you know no. um, if anyone has it's any influence we'd love a free popcorn event that'd be yeah. great you know directed by the same guy who directed Training Day I think that's how him and Dan teamed up yeah that's meant to be its selling point but it's nothing I, like Training Day and like the end scene is hilarious because there's a big battle in the home base between various people and they make it he sets off the fire alarm in the home base so that it rain, the sprinklers go off because they're not outside so they can't have yeah, a, we can't do dramatic action film rain rain so but we'll make it rain inside yeah. you know and oh, it was basically home alone though for that for uh, that 20 minutes yeah, that it was 20, like, which was probably the most fun to watch that out of context you're like yeah this is grand if um, you had 20 minutes of that and an hour set up you'd be like this is actually alright yeah but the, the, the two hour 10 minutes uh, my favourite bit was where he sends the kind of weighty Mexican extra who he's kind of you know taken mm-hmm. under his wing he sends him to go and hit the fuse box i think 
but he's already planted some uh, blowtorch gas cylinders in the microwave. So by With turning the on the turns, fuse, yeah. that'll turn on the microwave, which creates a giant explosion. I thought that was quite good. But then I was like, how do you set up a microwave to time when there's no power? Like, it could be a manual one, I suppose. Yeah, yeah. Um, so that's fun. Yeah, the hardware shop stuff is fun. But um, like you even look at the people like Melissa Leo is in this for a minute. Ten seconds. Um, yeah. Is it Bill uh, Bill Pullman is in there for a bit? And you're like, just goes right over your head. Uh, the guy who plays the bad guy, Marton Skokas, mm-hmm. is pretty good at doing that kind of B-movie villain thing. But anyway, um, yeah, one and a half out of five for me. So uh, avoid unless... I, I don't know why you would... And if you can go in for the last half an hour of this film, if you can time it to yeah. just show up after seeing something else. But don't give it any money. Yeah, so speaking of bad, we'll just throw this in as well. Came out earlier in the month, A Walk Among the Tombstones. It's directed by Liam Neeson, not directed by directed Liam Neeson. by Liam Neeson. May as well have been. Uh, it stars Liam Neeson, who plays Matt Scudder again. He's kind of like a retired cop. He works as a what's his name? Mad Scudders. <laughs> I was thinking that when I looked it up. Scudder, C U D D E R. Mad. Matt. 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 Matt Scudders. T T. Yeah. Jeez, what's wrong with? Why does he need that name? Where's he from? So anyway, Dan Stevens' brother goes and hunts him down. Mad Scudders his wife has been kidnapped and a ransom has been sent out. Uh, Dan Stevens paid the ransom, but his wife is still delivered back to him in small bits and pieces, killed. So Liam Neeson doesn't really want to take the case, but then when he finds out the gruesome nature of what he goes and tries and hunts down the people that did it and it involves all these other people and it's, again, 120 minutes long, pretty much. It's directed by Scott Frank. Like, it's his second film. His first film starred... um, Jason Gordon-Levitt was called The Lookout or something. I'd never heard of it. He's more known for his screenplays. He did Get Shorty and Wolverine and Minority Report. and A Hollywood hack is yeah, the Yeah, so he obviously wants to get into um, directing. directing. And, yeah, he got but it. Yeah, it, the, the thing that I kind of, me and Colin went to see this, and it kind of, it feels awfully sleazy. Uh, kind of film. There's this I thing. I think I've said this about the depictions of women and, and the use of them as yeah, motives. It's, it's just, it's becoming really tiresome. And, you know, there's nothing to be said for seeing this film and Colin had pointed out to me I hadn't seen the trailer before going into it and then I went and watched it after it gives away the entire film in the trailer mm. like there, there, if you saw that go watch the trailer and don't go see the film you know but like it's that, done fantastically well I was reading somewhere that is it, it all in a graveyard or why is it called a walk among it's in a graveyard for about 10 seconds at, at the end for a stupid climax thing which isn't even the real climax because it goes on further like watching it a bit of it, it does he die at the end of it who Liam Neeson no oh. took me a while he has a stupid relationship he starts up not sexual uh, with like a 17 year old black guy called um, he's called TJ in the film but it's played by Astro is the person's real name I don't know if he was the inspiration for the, the White Stripes song I doubt it Um but it, there's this nonsense like relationship between them where he's the old why jaded. do they feel the need the same thing with, with the equalizer like why the need to have this diversity thing of like the established white Hollywood actor to take mm-hmm. someone under Throwing, their arm, know. whether it's a young girl, yeah, or so you have to have that protection, l- Latino mystique, or, or you know, oh, I'm looking out for you, and I'm a good guy. It gives him heart and stuff. Like Neeson plays this alcoholic, and um, again, it goes into a style. He was an alcoholic in the thing with the airplane last year, or yeah. The film I can't remember. Poor Liam, like I mean But it was saying some of this film had made its money before it got released, before it even started showing. Because of his previous films, it's people 
like um, the, the rights distributors buy it straight away because they know that it'll get bumped it'll on do seats, well yeah you know? um so he's i'm just looking at, at his films over the last while so his live action ones because he was a voice in the lego movie which was very very yeah. good but a walk among the tombstones yeah a million ways to die in the west non-stop third person don't even know what that is taken to um battleship well you everyone else like says wrath yeah. of the titans so i'm going the whole way back for about two and a half years to the gray which is where he does that thing with the wolves which is an amazing film um and that's the only could be ropey though if nigel thinks it's no no the gray is actually fantastic it's uh, <laughs> a film um that directed by Joe Carnahan, the guy who did the A Team, yeah. Smoke and Aces, like an actual director, not a hack. Mm. So that's the last proper film he's done. But like Liam is completely adrift, and we need to I reel saw, him back in. He, I saw Neeson though. He did. He uh, doesn't care. I know everything with his wife. Yeah, he, like, he, he did. He's on autopilot. He kind of is, and I think he's just kind of being like, I need to make as much money as I can for, for the, the kids. kids. Sad, isn't it? In case I die or something happens to me, so once he's got that short up, he might go back. And I think you can only for an actor like him. I don't know. Like he did. Uh, Schindler's List that was his big one but I don't know if he's done these deep or he, we maybe have put this serious method this is actor mantle it. on him yeah. which he never really was we had Kinsey and Breakfast on Pluto and even Gangs of New York where he could get in as a proper character but um, yeah we'll see anyway please come back Liam give us a call when, when mm. you're ready and of course Mick remember you played Mick oh yeah Good man, Mick. Uh, yeah, uh, so David Cronenberg also has a new film out this uh, past weekend. Yep, Have you seen Friday. it? It's called Map to the Stars. I saw it yesterday, fresh off the press. Cool. I haven't seen it, but I am worried about David Cronenberg over the last few years. So does this bring him back on track? To me, yes. Uh, Cosmopolis was his film before this, which I really didn't like. Some people thought it was brilliant, but I just, it just didn't do it for me. Map to the Stars kind of has a similar feel or vibe, um, if you want to say that. Um, it's very odd I'll say that straight away it's incredibly funny it's like a dark satire so it's about it starts off with um, you see this kid who's called Benji but he's played by Evan Bird who I haven't seen in anything but apparently he's in the American Killing so you might know him to see he looks like a weird oh, hybrid between He's Justin Bieber and Justin Timber, uh, yeah, Justin he's Timberlake. I think he's, uh, yeah, he's a bit of a pup in it. He's I'm got a saying. weird neck. No offense to him. I'm sure he'll do great and be a big star. So anyway, he necks are big now. I heard a thing on the radio where uh, guys in Dublin are getting big necks. Oh, okay, um, working out. That it's I... all about the neck. No, so. not thick like long. Oh, he has a long neck. He looks his neck to head ratio is weird. Oh. Sorry, this has turned into a terrible... Um, it's, a, it's a style podcast. Yeah. Sorry. But anyway, so there's a hilarious scene where he goes and sees a sick child in a bed who's clearly dying. And it's like, here, I'm famous. He's known for this um, babysitter film. And he goes in and talks to her. And he has an aide who's sitting behind him, you know, with a, an iPad. And it's this horrible... The girl is dying. And she's like so enamored that the stars come to see him. And he doesn't want to be there. And he says to her, just like, so how did you get AIDS? And she's like, I don't have AIDS. I have non-Hodgkin's lymphoma. Oh. And then he replies by going, um, oh, well, we could, you know, if you do die, we could make this into a film where we'll get uh, Ryan Gosling to direct it <laughs> and I'll play you as a girl. And it's just, and the aide is kind of standing in the background looking at him. And then they leave the hospital and the kid goes nuts at his assistant you know, and he's just like, what is non-Hodgkin's lymphoma? It either is or it isn't something. And he just destroys the agent. 
it's like there's loads of scenes so like it's that. funny or just wacky it's a very black kind of comedy at times but then there's also some incredibly serious uh undertones to it where julian moore is the main, yeah like julian moore is in it mia wiosakowski robert pattison john cusack and olivia williams so john cusack and olivia williams are this guy benji's parents and john cusack plays like this self-help guru and olivia williams is like his agent mom kind of thing then we have julianne moore who is in her probably sounds someone in her late 40s early 50s like herself maybe and like I don't myself know herself i don't know what age she is so she's kind of this washed up 51. actress who's trying to get a film greenlit which is about her mother it's like a remake of a film her mother was in so she wants to play the part her mother played but you find out quite initially at the start that julianne moore has laid claims that her mother sexually abused her so there's these all these kind of weird undertones going on and Julianne Moore is almost playing this like here's what Lindsay Lohan is going to be like in 50 years she's so kind of vacant and self-obsessed and really uh, that classic actor insecurity there's a fantastic scene because you learn early enough or like it's very obvious that Julianne Moore isn't going to get the part she wants and she meets the person who does get the part and there's this fantastic scene outside this shop where the two of them meet each other and they're so fake to each other it's incredibly hard to watch but it's just like oh i'm so happy you got the part oh you thanks worthwhile it's it's an incredibly worthy watch the ending is very strange it'd be kind of, like mia wasikowski is brilliant she plays julianne moore's assistant agatha and like all the stories eventually interconnect and you're like all right um okay that's a bit bonkers and then it kind of ends with a thing i was uh, david replied david turpin was saying um bruce wagner wrote the screenplay it's kind of based on a book but it's slightly different from the book you know um so there's a lot of interpretation i suppose to the film but um it's definitely worth a watch not for everyone it's 18s which i didn't realize so when i saw the 18 cert come up i was like all right and then you think back to cronenberg because sex in a film doesn't really even make something 18s anymore it's violence more so and there are the classic Cronenberg outbursts of quite gory violence one point in particular and you're just like right and there are very dark undertones to it but peppered with this John Cuse looks great in it as well it's good to see him back doing his kind of he yeah crazy he's, role. yeah uh cool Alt's- well yeah well worth a watch I think but very bonkers and don't give out to me if you don't like it Right. Also out this weekend, uh, well, we've two more uh, very quickly, is uh, I Origins, which is the latest film from director Mike Cahill, which, uh, or Cahill, but they call it Cahill in America. So uh, he previously, what? Does he play for Everton? Yeah, Tim Cahill. No, he doesn't play for Everton anymore, but he he did. But uh, so he previously made Another Earth, which was a fantastic uh, film with uh, from about th- four years ago, I think. Um, but this came out uh just over the weekend with very little fuss and i went to see it and there were uh, eight people in the cinema and by the time the film finished there were four of us so that's a 50 percent turnover of uh, people so uh it's kind of a sort of sci-fi philosophy based like drama about uh, a research scientist who's working on bringing uh, sight to organisms that couldn't previously see as his way to prove that there's no god uh as and then they get like really what? into the Amoebas eyes or what because that's the one thing that people who when they're talking here's a clip actually where okay. he talks about it a little bit what do you believe in 
a scientist. I believe in data. A scientist? Mm-hmm. What kind of scientist? Molecular biology. I'm most fascinated with the eye. The eye? The, the eyes? The eyes. Why the eye? The eye is the one sticking point that religious people use to discredit evolution. They use it as proof of an intelligent designer. Intelligent designer. God. I'm looking to end the debate once and for all with clear, clean facts, data points of every stage of evolution. Why are you working so hard to disprove God? Disprove? Who proved that God was there in the first place? So, uh, that's Michael Pitt. He plays the research scientist. Um, and, yeah, as I say, that's his whole thing at the beginning. It's like an anti-kind of religion thing, and he's going to prove it that way. Um, um, that's him talking to his girlfriend, who is a kind of a spiritual person. But Well, the poster's um, an eyeball. Yeah. I saw a clip from the poster. So, it's all about retina. retina yeah, and then, the, I'm... The tw- it's not that it's a twist because they kind of give it away. Does God come down and make Michael more Pitt and more. blind? No. Aww. Well, he n- nearly like there's some stuff which is so literal that you're anyway. But as retina experts, they have all this access to databases and stuff, and all of a sudden, they find that people have people who die. Their retinas are showing up somewhere else and on another scan from somewhere else. So he's like, well, this is very weird. And it gets all a bit coincidental with, you know, with people involved. And um, so he begins to investigate so that. So lots of like smoking men and... And then, no, no, it's nothing spooky about that. It's more, it gets really kind of spiritual and like high on the kind of philosophy stuff because it ends up twisting that from pr- he, from proving that there is no God, he wants to prove that there is a God. So it's all mumbo jumbo, psycho babble as you tell it. And yet I hate didn't really like it until the end when I realized that it all kind of stuck with me long enough and I actually was really warming to the whole okay. world of it. So it's, it's like Lucy then. <laughs> yeah, except without the crazy sort of uh, action. It's nice and short and um, yeah. absolutely gorgeous. All the stuff with the eyes. And it does make you think a little bit, not in any great deep way. And you will probably disagree with a lot of the the philosophy in it and the brains. But he's very good in it and it's really, really well shot. And yeah. The director, I think, is the the guy to be worried about because he hasn't really done much in the four years. Like, he's produced some stuff. And Britt Marling is in it as well. Uh, she plays... Sounds um, like... Um, who directed Upstream Colour? Uh, Shane Carruth. Yeah, there's bits Sounds of it. Like but if he had directed it, it would yeah. be way better. You know, yeah. if you gave him this script mm. to make this film, the film would be amazing. Whereas, I don't know, Mike Cahill got a bit hung up on, on some bits of it. But... Um, yeah, worth kind of seeing. But the film of the week is something we saw months and months and months ago, mm-hmm. uh, which is the Polish film Ida. So Ida, yeah, we saw this back in February, I think, in the film festival of Jameson. Yeah. Black and white. Dublin International four Film Festival. Three. Yeah, four to three. 82 about minutes. Yeah. About a nun. Yeah, very short. Paweł Pawlowski directed it. Yeah. So it's about, uh, it's set in the 60s Poland and Anna is trained to be a nun. And before she takes her final orders of vows and becomes a nun, they suggest she makes contact with her last family because she was kind of given up for adoption and became an orphan instead in the convent. So then she gets in touch with her aunt and realizes she's actually Jewish. And she then <gasps> starts to go back and discover what happened to her parents and what happened. And it mm. kind of goes into the whole World War Two leftovers and hang-ups in polish society and stuff like that and like she kind of it's first it's her first awakening to the real world because she's lived this closeted cloistered life in the nunnery and um yeah it's fantastic it's every shot is like a photograph it's yeah and shot. it's shot in four three like the way he 
he made it as, as interesting as anything. I think it's probably the kind of film that's going to be not seen by a lot of people yeah. and then will show up on lists at the end of the year and people will start to, to investigate yeah. it and that. Cause so get ahead of the... Be ahead of the posse. Well, the you know, yeah, well, we were at a sold-out screening. It was done in conjunction with the Polish embassy or mm-hmm. something like that back at and the And it was interesting. Festival, I was talking so. to somebody at work about it because when we went to see it, it kind of got... It turned into a bit of a interesting talk because there was a lot of Polish people in the cinema uh, watching it and they're kind of there's a lot of hang up still in Poland and Polish society about what went on during World War 2 yeah who role. dobbed who in and yeah, what and, happened you know yeah. ratting out Jewish people and stuff and like they haven't that. confronted it by all no, accounts and this they does just seem to tried be to brush it under the carpet a bit starting it and it's, there's a lot of kind of unhappy people about it so it's always interesting to see the power film you know yeah uh, so we've it's a bumper a couple of reviews just that we film things that are kind of worth talking about can't believe we spent so long talking about Liam Neeson but anyway <laughs> um, Wish I Was Here is the new Zach Brack, Braff film which came out uh, 10 days ago yeah. and um, I haven't it seen is it and it has got sleep. the most disappointing Aww. film of the year for me so far or film yeah. of any year perhaps for a long time so we all know Zach Braff's like first directorial effort was Garden State and that was 10 years ago and it kind of defined a lot of special places I think a lot of people and I am terrified to go back and watch Garden State now I'm really really scared because I'm like I bet it's crap I bet it's actually really dated like there's certain films like Garden State and Into the Wild um, that just kind of clicked at the right time in terms of when you're in those kind of early 20s years where you're open up to things and people and everything so I, yeah, I'm really, really scared. Uh, Wish I Was Here uh, tells the story of Aidan Bloom, played by Zach Braff, written by Zach Braff, and directed by Zach Braff. Crowdfunded by Zach Braff. Zach Braff. Uh, crowdfunded by us. Well, not us. Anyway, he's a man on the wrong side of 40, I think. I don't know what the wrong side of 40 means. I think it means the older side. But uh, he's really struggling. He is an incredibly annoying character. He is a failed actor who goes to auditions with uh, Thingamajiggy from The Big Bang Theory. Um, Sheldon? Sheldon, yeah. Oh, okay. Um, he was actually a great actor, but um, in uh, he's not given much to do here. But anyway, uh, his wife Kate Hudson uh, works in a kind of a data analytics call centery type thing, and she makes all the money for the two kids. Uh, the two kids have been put into a strict Jewish school by uh, Adam's dad, their grandfather, played by Mandy Patinkin, thingy uh, from we know Mandy Patinkin, oh, Homeland yeah. Homeland Beard. And uh, Princess Bride and everything like that. So, uh, unfortunately, he gets cancer, can't afford to send them. So, the kids are taken out and they have to be homeschooled by, you know, Waste Space Aiden. And it becomes uh, incredibly annoying. Like, he won't really teach them things. He'll they'll go on re- field road trips and all this He's kind of thing and experiencing them the school of life exactly. He? he is so self indulgent, unfunny, cheesy, annoying, and just really you can't get behind them you can't click with them and it's rare like i can get really into american kind of culture and jewish culture and that but to see them like this unending praise for the jewish kind of faith at a time when we've just come (laughs) i'm gonna get a bit political here but like the israel palestine thing doesn't happen here they just talk about how cool american jews are the Mm -hmm. whole way through and you're like well they're closed off to other stuff that's going on in the world you know so um anyway i couldn't help thinking of uh, James Franco at the time because Freaks and Geeks and Scrubs let's say within a while kicked off at a similar kind of time and I know Freaks and Geeks only ran for the short amount of time compared yeah. to Scrubs it went on forever but since that Franco has gone on to star in 100 films direct 100 films write 100 books 
Poetry, um, do yeah. everything he mm-hmm. is so you know he's prolific whereas Zach Braff has done next to nothing like he was in the TV show he was in he was in I one think interesting Braff probably made so much money from Scrubs towards the end I just don't end. think he cares I think he sits at home and he just mopes and um, I'm really annoyed with him for making this film and I think uh, I really like him as 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 an actor and I'm just really annoyed like he he was in Oz the great and the powerful and he's been in the odd thing here and there but for the most part he has been you know done yeah. next to nothing you know so uh, anyway the, the the music is the only thing that saves it I gave it two stars because the music is actually quite good but he does this trick where he'll be getting into a really emotional argument or something and you're like this is really boring I don't care about these people yeah and then all of a sudden like a nice song with Bonnie Vare starts playing okay. and you're like oh cool with a Bonnie Vare that's yeah I'm getting into it now yeah I like these characters and then it just trails off we get the we get the intro and the beginning of the verse and he does it about 15 times in the film and that's his trick, you know? Yeah. So it's can't really be recommended only as a curiosity to see. Oh, okay. Um, but Kate Hudson is in it as his wife, and she's actually brilliant. And you kind of really like her, even though she's next to nothing to do. So I was kind of yearning more for the Kate Hudson revival. Like, we had yeah. the McCona- McConaughey I renaissance. I could be so. saying that, like, he wrote it, so he obviously wrote Kate Hudson's part. So he obviously wrote himself to be a dick or really annoying. But, like, if there's no great... Can't. realization or anything or there kind of is but it, you don't get behind it at the end it's and too short it, it's, it's not too short but the just it doesn't feel like a proper arc for him to oh, okay. go through so it really disappointed me right damn you zach coming for you okay uh another one that came out last week or a week or so ago was the riot club i was kind of looking forward to this it's a bunch of posh english people being like knobs and uh, it seemed very interesting from the trailer and stuff it's based on a play called posh that was written by laura wade and it's called the riot club but it's actually kind of based loosely on the bullington club which boris johnson and david cameron were in back in the day channel four made a documentary uh, called when boris met dave um which i'm gonna go and watch after this yeah, so it's kind of a bunch of posh English people who are in this um, secret kind of club at Oxford in England. And um, they have eight members at the moment and they need to get ten, too, because that's their thing, they have ten members. So they Why were, do you have to have ten? I don't know, what's the rules? You know? well, who made the, oh, it's their own, to get yeah. funding or something, no? Yeah, I don't know, there's just ten. Ten's the magic socks. number. The yeah. clubs and socks. Uh, so two new people start. Uh, Max Irons, who, yes, is Jeremy Irons' son. Uh, he plays Miles and then you have Sam Claffin who plays Alistair and the two of these people start at the same time in Freshers and they both hate each other just for no real reason other than like Max Irons is kind of the good posh guy with a heart you know he talks to the peasants and stuff and Sam Clifton is um, this Alistair character who hates poor people and you know thinks she'll be shot and everything so we're going to play a short clip and here you go so we're at the top university in the world Arguably. And so are 20,000 other people. But there are no more than 10 in the riot club. The top 10. If you'd like, I can speak later. I'll nominate you. Yeah, they seem kind of... I haven't seen the riot club yet. Um, 
they seem very annoying yeah like that clip there was uh, Alistair getting inducted kind of saying here will you join the club it also you would have heard Douglas Booth um, he's one of it uh, he was in that terrible Romeo and Juliet from a year or so ago that was atrocious so it's like these bunch 10 bunch lads who are all incredibly posh and it's hard to know if any of them are any good at acting you do hate all of them which I suppose is an impressive they've presented these incredible hateful characters who just thinks that society should provide everything for them and they're totally not at fault. And, and when's it set? It's set in the present day. Oh, right. Yeah. And it kind of, you know, but I don't know if they're, like, they just seem to be a collection of chins and strong cheekbones, you know. Not, there's no real great... So it culminates in this dinner that they have because that's what it kind of becomes famously known for. It's, it's dinners and it's food and... They've been banned from lots of places because they always trash the place. So they have this massive dinner. This is all in the trailer. They have this massive dinner and then beat up the landlord. So then there's a question of, you know, what the repercussions. It all gets a bit Lord of the Flies and stuff like that. But it's all, it seems quite short. Like the film. Or or J1 San Francisco. Where things, you know, everyone just keeps wrecking the gaff. Yeah, yeah. Very topical. Um. Like, it's good. It's an, kind of an enjoyable film. It's not amazing because there's no great like res- anyone. Yeah, like you anyone. can't say, oh, it's a great film, go see it, because all the characters are hateful. Yeah, Nobody really redeems themselves, yeah. you know? There's this classic uh, thing that's in all those English posh boy clubs. There's an awful lot of homoeroticism going on amongst it. You kind of this classical, very token caricature of a gay member of the club. Um and it's just yeah and the, like the resolution at the end it's kind of trying to say well nothing and change and they're going to rule the world and everything's the same but you're kind of like not, like it does a good job of totally making them look absolutely stupid and I've apparently heard that the Bullion Club in Oxford really tried to get the film like stopped or the, and the play even back in the day because it, it makes them out to be absolute idiots Yeah. and this real like fake you know like new money kind of thing it's just like that they're all posh rich people and they don't have done nothing have done nothing for it you know yeah like it's nothing like kind of the classic english ones of brideshead revisited like it's not trying to be like it's like a it's a sexy punk rock and roll brideshead you know or but it's so it's like it's not a great i don't think it's a great film is malcolm mcdowell in it no Um, so yeah maybe go see it if you're kind of into that teen like there's an interesting love story to start which kind of goes very wrong and it does pose interesting questions of what you would do because like when it all kicks off the dinner table like Max Iron is portrayed as this good rich person who likes everything but he just kind of sits blindly by and does nothing and you're kind of watching it and you want to scream at the film like would you ever do something you know Two films, though, that you definitely should see that have come out in the past month that we just will have a few minutes uh, chat about. Uh, Pride is the one which uh, UK gay activists working to help the minors during... Connection, actually, that we, we could have done a, a better link there uh, oh. because one of the members of the Riot Club is the main guy in Pride. Oh. Who's actually American, but he plays a Northern Ireland character in Pride. Yeah. But is actually American. Oh. Yeah, so he's, a, he's one of the main guys in the Riot Club. Very good, good link. British film link. Zing, zing. So, um, yeah, I did quite... Like, it's kind of like the full Monty, but um, mm. with a kind of a message. But it felt very topical. Really liked it. It's been out a couple of weeks. You have to kind of go and see it. It's uh, a, there's a lovely scene in it with um, Bill Nye and... Yeah, 
Imelda Staunton maybe. Mm. Yeah. It's kind of, yeah, I, I really liked it. It's great fun. It's really enjoyable. Your parents will love it kind of thing. Will they though? But then will they vote yes for the equality in the equality referendum? Marriage That's equality, kind of the yeah. goal, I think. That, it seems they should be, be put on around the country moment, yeah. in all the church halls. But uh, it, it it to me it got a bit too hokey and a bit too like there's a moment when the miners go down to the hall, the Welsh hall, and yeah. they're supported. And at one point, everyone just breaks into song, and you're like, "Come on, fuck!" I off. cried like, for that. Ah, uh, no. Like, <laughs> yeah, it's very lighthearted. But they're very. They seem like they want to get everything into the film, like the, the yeah. touch very loosely on the AIDS thing. And I thought, why do it so light touch? Like, it's a massive thing and yeah. it's a huge... But I was just like, maybe leave it that can, out or... I think it defined a lot of the experiences for gay men in the 80s. So where you just got branded. Like, you see some of the TV advertisements and they're sitting at home mm. and the ad comes on and you can see the thing of the dad kind of character, you know, just going... You know, he's disgusted yeah. by this idea. Mm. And then when they find out that their son... You know, I, I did, could have done without the George Mackay. Was that his name? George Mackay character. Like the guy who hasn't come out yet and his mum and dad don't really... Because he drifts in and the, out of the But film. that was kind of our way into it. Like yeah. we, we were him in that scene. Yeah. Where you're getting introduced to it and stuff. There's also a character who's fallen out with his mother and hasn't talked to him. Like that's just not believable. Played by our Like man. it's believable that the mother would kick him out. Played by Moriarty from uh, Sherlock. Yeah. yeah. He Like it's believable that his family would kick him out. But the fact that in five minutes of, you know... Well, they didn't even show the scene. He just arrives and says, Hi, Mum. Yeah, and then she comes back when he's got the shit kicked out of him, you yeah. know? so... But it's a good... Like, Dominic West as a film, good in it. Yeah, and I think it it deserves to be seen by tons of people yeah. as well. Yeah, Dominic West is brilliant in it as the second person in the UK to ever have uh, HIV, yeah. I think, yeah, Sorry, yeah. So, so fantastic. And hopefully it'll get seen by more people because you know and play on tv and stuff and as i yeah. say equality referendum that's what we're pushing for um but then the film of the month probably is uh, the guest came out mm. at the start of the month this it's probably has your movie moment of the month as well does it it does actually yeah um link so, link uh it's directed by adam wingard and written by sam barnett who are kind of this like directing writing team who did um writing team writing cool. who did i'll just my diction for next month uh they did your next which was a great film it came out last year but a lot of reviews were like the 2011 film. The toronto film festival in 2011 yeah but it wasn't seen in ireland <laughs> and wasn't like seen here year. for it was exactly development it had a really so. slow one yeah so um yeah it's brilliant stars dan stevens who plays david and he turns up at this house opening shot he's just running on the road turns up at this house he's just been gotten out of the army he knew uh, a buddy of his this is where his family live he died and the buddy was like go back and he wanted to tell the family look i was with your son he always thought about you he really loved you and i just wanted to say hello and you know it was a pleasure to serve with him so the family are still kind of distraught about the son's death and invite him in to stay and then it all just goes a bit crazy yeah he's in the picture though on the mantelpiece which so i which really confused me yeah. yeah but um yeah it's kind of it's fantastic you have to sort of see it to really get everything and a lot of people who may not have known it was such a clever and let's say smart film like yeah. in terms of knowing what it was referencing mm. will have hopefully seen it and taken a lot from it because it's yeah. got the guy from downton yeah um, it, who does a fantastic job and it, it's very um it's set in the present day but it harks back to all these 80s films not to go into the plot too much but when you kind of watch it you're like oh it's very like terminator or you kind of wonder is he a robot and <laughs> 80s films 80s horror films like it stars um lance 
Reddick, who plays um, Major Carmen, but people know him as Lieutenant Daniels from The Wire. And he's fantastic. Yeah, or it. all these dodgy TV shows where, like, I think he's in The Event or Flash Forward or Lost or something. Like, yeah. all of these things of, like, that army general who has a, yeah. you know, we're trying to get someone back. Because, like, there's a brilliant bit where he's... Um, he's in the blacklist as well. <laughs> he's talking about how David came about or what's his real MO. And uh, it's fantastic because in your head you're like, please say this, please say this. And he does say it. Like, it's just ticking all these boxes internally. <laughs> fantastic yeah. 80s synthy music. People have said yeah. it's kind of like Drive Light. And it is a bit, but like, ah, no. it's not like it's not as, yeah. I don't know, it's a different kind of kettle of fish. We'll, we'll close the segment with a bit of uh, music from it. But I just, my movie moment, of the, what's your movie moment? Oh, moment? my movie moment is the, the bit when the major, Lance Reddick, is in the car and they pull up to the high school to get the brother because they need to get him and the camera so it's cut inside the two of them are talking pulls up at the high school then it cuts to outside the car and the two of them are like the sister's like i'll go in and get him the sister is played by um michael monroe who's fantastic and she's really great strong female character so she's like oh i'll go and get him and the camera then it's obviously on a crane shot or something pulls back up to expose the whole school and everything and the Halloween thing, but it's just beautifully shot. And it, that was one of those, like, oh, it's like an 80s kind of horror thing where it's pulling up and it's fantastic, yeah. Mm. Uh, mine is from M, the, which I'm kind of cheating, the uh, seminal Fritz Lang film. And uh, it's the bit where that, that image that we've seen forever, the M on the mm-hmm. back shoulder, is kind of revealed. So I'd seen that in clips and everything, and um, I'd never seen M before. And then it had a restored mm-hmm. uh, print that was showing at uh, the IFI at the beginning of the month. And so managed to get to it on a mm-hmm. Friday lunchtime. And uh, yeah, so Hans Beckart, played by Peter Laurie, just gets branded with this M on his back and with the chalk. Because mm-hmm. the spotters around the town have kind of seen him and they're trying to find... The, the kitty fiddler kind of yeah. child catcher dude, quite a so. dark film really incredibly dark for for 1931 like this mm. is like know. it says in the trailer before like when the, i saw it too but in the ifi they had a wee promo and like mm. one of the things that flashes up you know it defined that whole murder kind of you know it was the start of that murder thriller genre and yeah. you know yeah so absolutely fantastic and says a lot about society in between the wars and where mm. people were going and everything so that's that kind of classic lynch mentality mob as well where like yeah well do you believe in crime and punishment or yeah should you just i noticed because i also saw that month or maybe the end of sub to maybe the end of august uh the cabinet of dr calgary and like m ends very abruptly mm. like it's kind of odd like you're a bit like oh right okay and Cal- Caligari ends incredibly abruptly as well. Yeah, they just like to wrap things up. It's just like done. gone, you know? Cool. Uh, yeah. yeah, let's close with a bit of uh, synthy music then from the guest, and then that'll lead us into our Watch With Spool clip. Guess what it is?
days later, Earl takes Arthur and his family on a recruiting visit to the high school where NBA star Isaiah Thomas played. The visit will give St. Joseph's coaches a chance to see Arthur perform. Your role today, Arthur, is to impress the coaches, try not to be too fancy, to take the open shot when you have it, play good defense and make good passes. The rest of it just play natural, you know. So uh, that was a clip of Arthur visiting St. Joe's from the Steve James 1994 documentary Hoop Dreams, which was one of two documentaries which we focused on this month as part of our Watch With Spool series, which is going pretty well. We've done three months in a row now and we'll We're have keeping them. it regular. We're keeping it regular. Um, so the film tells the story of two young men, Arthur Agee, wasn't it? And William or Gates. Or Agee. Agee, yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. Again, the term Gee means something very different for... For Perfect. us here in Ireland, but maybe not in Chicago. Um, anyway, it's... Uh, yeah, also William Gates. They didn't call him Bill Gates, but anyway. <laughs> as they progressed through their entire high school basketball career, uh, they both get taken into the uh, white focus kind of secondary school. Did it feel like a, some sort of a yeah, posh, kinda fancy-ish school? Quite religious. It seemed Catholic St. Joseph's. Yeah. Uh, get scholarship money is paid for some of them. And it's not. Yeah. That becomes Pre- a dynamic kind of... Yeah, scenario. predominantly white. And these are the guys who live kind of an hour away, kind of mm. in a rougher part of the city anyway. So the goal here is to, be- to become uh, good enough to eventually make the NBA. Because there's one guy who they look up to, uh, Isaiah Thomas, wasn't that his name? Who they're like... From the like, same oh, well, area. Yeah, who had gone through that journey and made it to the very top. Um, so uh, yeah this is on Netflix both our films this month actually were on Netflix which is very handy because you can just don't have to go to the college library sponsored by Netflix which is disappointing yeah makes column once a month you know I know makes very good I like he needs we should be paying him for it but um, Netflix should be paying him yeah that's the way it should be anyway uh, Hoop Dreams was originally only meant to be 30 minutes long um, funded by I think PBS or one of these public things but ended up they were filming it for five years um, and it ended up with this three-hour kind of epic. Mm. Uh, the college, like St. Joseph's School, actually sued them initially over that because they were like, this is only supposed to be a 30-minute thing for PBS. And it does kind of paint the school in quite a bad light because it is where these poor black kids are promised everything and stolen. Well, not stolen, but, like you know, taken from their kind community. Kind of poached, in a way. Or yeah. Something, yeah. And as long as they're performing, it's happy days. But then injuries present themselves. They fall behind in their tuition fees. And then there's even a selection in that because one of the players gets his fees paid by a... This private benefactor. This kind of yeah, Miss Havisham kind of woman. I Britannica, was wasn't it? Wasn't that it? Yeah. Um, What's that mean? That he has to sell encyclopedias? Is that the same Britannica? I meant to look that up. So, uh, yeah, that kind of sits a bit, jars a bit. And then once you fall behind your tuition fees, it's like, no, get out and go to another school. Yeah. and it's But it's brilliant as, like, the documentary, I think, is made by the different kind of coaches and you see their style. And um, when the kid, I think Such it's Such characters Arthur. as well. Like, the, yeah. this idea of a high school coach is, we've seen it in different films over the years, but to see them actually there, larger than life kind of they characters. Seem bigger than the principals and stuff. It's insane. You know, yeah. they all have these massive offices like you think back to the PE teachers we had and it was just like no they just they don't even have a classroom these people have offices the size of they have a small corner of the gym you know they could put a curtain up around it yeah (laughs) that's where they keep everything but that is the thing I suppose I wouldn't have been exposed to it You'd, you'd be aware of it in America with American football and stuff but I'd never seen it in this level with the basketball the level because again you have the this you get your college foot college uh 
basketball there's this crazy segment where they go to this uh, Nike kind of the people the basketball players of tomorrow and it's like yeah. this hardcore three day thing where all the scouts from around the country go and pick them out and there's a heartbreaking scene where the player I think it's Arthur will it maybe Arthur, I think, yeah. yeah his he gets a knee complaint and it pulls up and it wasn't even an injury he just gets a muscle pain but you can see all the selectors kind of looking at him being mm. he's injury prone if he's yeah. injury prone at this age and he's like he's not even 18 maybe yeah you know what are, yeah this is the thing they're kind of maybe 13 to yeah. 18 it's not because the there's age. a birthday in one of it where it's like the mother is delighted that the kid has even made it to 18 because so many of his friends have got killed yeah um, do you want some trivia just in the middle of this? Uh, William's brother, Curtis, uh, was shot dead on September 10th, 2001. He's a great character in it because he's the brother mm-hmm. who's like, oh, you should be doing this and you should be doing that. And it's like, he was a failed basketball player himself, kind of. There's yeah. this, and the, uh, Hoop Dreams is the thing because you have these kind of poor, less well-off black people. And this is like their way out. The mother of William just looks so distraught and anxious she's like a classic study of a mother where she just wants him to get out and better himself because the, the brothers and the family are just ruined and like electricity keeps going off at different points the fathers are kind of wasters you know touches yeah. on the drug the dad is brilliant the way he kind of disappears for a while and then comes back and you can tell they're a bit iffy with him but yeah you know it's uh he he's a great character though as well I he actually since he got shot actually he died as well he was shot and then there was another brother of Williams who was shot as well. There's a documentary, I don't know if it was an extra for a DVD called Hoop Reality, where it catches up with them uh, 10 years' time. There was a trailer for it on YouTube, but Netflix haven't got that yet, so. We wouldn't know about it. Um, yeah, and so you read the thing about the Oscars, the way this didn't get nominated. Yeah, that was crazy, actually. Mm. It got shut off after 15 minutes, but it caused it to... To change the to rules. Change and the it's rules. only now that they're finally starting to... I think for a while you had to be a documentary maker to vote for documentaries and now mm-hmm. it's gone the other way where everyone who's in the academy can vote um, but that's seen as a problem because any kind of thing with a populist sort of message ends up winning mm-hmm. and it may not be the best documentary as a film it can be slightly more quite a bleak kind of film it well. did win for best editing which I thought was great because I was like well different clocks in at three hours so I'm not sure if that is great yeah, yeah. 250 hours down to three though was pretty impressive yeah yeah and, you um, often wonder how you even start to construct a story from such a big... Yeah, I suppose yeah. from this he was just adding to it as he went, because it's completely chronological, and it's not like the stuff at the beginning mm. provides that much context, but... Uh, I thought it was a brilliant, like, the thing with documentaries, obviously, is, like, people's studies, and or it can be, like, a historical thing with, like, the thin blue line where you're trying to find the truth. But even just for social time frames, the clothes in this film are insane. Mm. like 90s um late 80s early 90s american clothes are fantastic it's like watch and do the right thing kind of you this know? is a follow-up well this yeah. would have been a couple of like around that time of 89 90 and african-american kind of culture of what yeah. they what they want yeah the spike uh, spike show or spike lee, spike bit lee. In it. yeah it's he talks to them at that nike camp you know, uh, in in the same clothes, pretty much he was wearing and do the right thing, <laughs> yeah. which was a bit confusing. Um, yeah, it won. It was named, I think, Roger Ebert and Gene Siskel's best film in 1994. They're both from Chicago, so they obviously were going to like well it. But it, yeah. I think Ebert went on to claim it as the best film of the decade, and um, 
the documentary maker Steve Jameson who made the Ebert documentary Life Itself, which is playing this weekend. We're recording this during the weekend, so the IFI Stranger Than Fiction Festival is on right now. So we can't talk about stuff because it's in the future, but it'll be in the past. So it's a bit hard to work that out. But um, yeah, he he went on to make that so like but this is so when you look at reviews or anything of like this it's just so critically acclaimed the whole way so um yeah it's great let's the other one then that we did was uh the errol morris film the thin, thin blue, blue line, line. we yeah. might take a bit of music from this because it's so cool composed yeah. by uh philip glass he's yeah. kind of he's well known now as a composer absolutely this would have been one of his first let's ones. listen to some of his fantastically synthy stuff we'll just take that down a little bit but we will talk over it yeah so that's the music from the thin blue line which is a 1988 documentary as nigel said directed by our mars and it focuses on uh, a case where a police officer by the name of robert wood was shot dead in 1976 down in texas and it concentrates between the two people well first of all randall adams who um he was eventually convicted of the crime but he's clearly innocent, as we find out going through the documentary. And it also talks to David Ray Harris. So there's kind of the two of them were hanging out. Um, David Ray Harris ran away from home. He stole a gun and stole his neighbor's car. Randomly picked up Randall Adams, who was just kind of walking about. Did you, I quite like that. Randomly. I found that a bit hard to connect with. Then they went, you know, yeah, hung out for the day. They basically the hung out for the day. Movie. I was trying to work out, was there a sexual thing going on? Because yeah. we don't... Nobody would do that now. You wouldn't be driving along. Hey, do you want to go catch a movie? Yeah. Or like... Stranger, want to go watch a movie? Yeah. Like, I thought it was kind of... Which they did go and do. They went and watched two movies. Which is a lovely scene where then it shows them. Because the film then goes through a series of reconstructions of the murder of the police officer. As told from different From different angles and perspectives. And it shot from the different uh, like there's a scene where you see them at the drive-in and people have sensed since like this was kind of the first time that had been done in a way and it kind of paved the way for a lot of like police reconstruction and in tv shows and yeah it got even. so overused then and the yeah kinda, like, but the way he does it it's, it's very dreamy there's a lot of smoke in all this and it's so very stylized yeah really stylized because that's the whole thing of it like you're not too sure who to believe like it becomes evident as the film progresses that randall adams did not kill this person it really was likely david ray harris but he went to jail for quite a long time like the case was in 1976 the film didn't come out until 1988 88 89 yeah but on because the film was seen and then people went in uproar of it um randall adams got released from jail the next year he was pardoned no he wasn't actually pardoned the case was dismissed because if he had been pardoned, um, he would have been eligible for money because he was illegally, you know, he was like... So falsely. a bit like the Paradise Lost kind of um, 
West Memphis Three thing, yeah. where they're like, "We're we're not saying we were wrong, but just we'll pretend not never happened." Yeah, and you <laughs> kind of don't get that sense of closure from the film where it goes back and talks to the because of the judge and everybody seems biased. Like it comes out, I think it was Vider in Texas, um, where it's really kind of like I think the, it's pronounced Vider, <laughs> the good old boys kind of. Or well, look, this guy was a drifter. He's coming in. He we'll say he did it. He's a bit weird. But, like, this Ray Harris guy seems like an absolute sociopath. Like, all the interviews with him. And did you kind of notice the way that, um... At the time of this being shot, the two of them would have been in prison. Because David Ray Harris uh, subsequently shot and murdered Mark Mays. um, And he was executed for that. Uh, I'm not sure when. And he was in his orange uh, jumpsuit. In all the interviews, he was in his orange jumpsuit. And the other guy, who would have been in prison at the same time, was in his white t-shirt kind of thing. So So it's always putting you in that mind of who is right and who is wrong. I doubt, yeah, he would have been dressed up. But I did think about that. I was like, maybe if he was on death row, you have to be in the the orange, just a new black getup. So he, it kind of has that thing as well with, because you keep thinking of the West Memphis 3 thing, the way it's told. And the judge, it was just, yeah, look, we've got this guy and we're going to convict him. You know, Yeah, we need someone. It. We've never had a police officer be shot and not have it yeah. solved Because that was the thing with um, Ray Harris was only 16 at the time. So if he was convicted, he wouldn't have been able to be killed because they can't oh, get the yeah. death penalty. Whereas Adams would have been able to. Yeah. Um, we, we watched this back in college in our film studies class. I watched a lot of it and just kind of thought. So this would have been maybe 2003, 2004. And at the time, I remember thinking it looked so dated and weird, and I had, it didn't click at all. But then, you know, it's it's hung around in these best of lists. And then when I was watching it, I was like, this is not dated at all. Like it, it but it feels more classic now. Like in terms mm. of the way it's shot, like we talk about with the recreations and the the brilliant Philip Glass score. Yeah, um, it just creates this fantastic mood. So mm. it's interesting that it's kind of come in my head anyway, full circle. Yeah. To me, um, in that kind of way but uh yeah what i also enjoyed it made me think of bernie the richard linklater one with the uh totally. the texas i'm sure there's a bit of an influence in terms of the whole texas uh judicial system and all that in the interviews and, and the, stuff, the so. woman who's not uh, like it was weird because like names didn't come up in certain things it's like a way the film for who's who yeah yeah that's very odd did you, i thought did you see as well the way morris actually does it where he he puts himself into the camera so he does an auto cue it sounded amazing i know i never knew this i don't think he does it with the film still but like what he would do is he sits in another room behind a curtain or something and then feeds himself into the auto cue so it means you're doing your interview you have to look head on into the camera to see his face and have the conversation okay but it means that people are being confronted from it so, yeah uh, but i like that, that in that you never hear the director there are my exactly, favorite documentaries yeah. i don't like this kind of louis through i'm the documentary as well yeah kind of the steve james steve james and hoop dreams kind of you did need the voiceover to drive it a bit yeah and that would have been a turgid kind of three hours mm-hmm. if we didn't quite know yeah what was going on but and possibly that's why one of the reasons were again for the academy this wasn't considered a documentary because of the scripted nature of it and the recreations and stuff they didn't allow it yeah to be considered but yeah like with the bernie thing there's certain you don't know exactly who she is i don't know if she's like a private investigator or a lawyer but she kind of looks like a Roseanne Barr almost. She was brilliant. She's fantastic. Yeah. And then the the guy that she got but in... But she, she felt like you're getting behind her. Like you're kind of yeah, on her side. Totally. Which you wouldn't think at the beginning. And she kind of... Um, 
she gets this lawyer in to help who you subsequently find out once the verdict was that he was guilty he hasn't practiced law since because he's like it's so blindly obvious that this guy didn't kill him yeah but the jury have just decided it so what's the point in justice yeah yeah that was it's kind of bleak and um the film ends with uh tape recording of david rehart yeah, did you know this before you watched no, it? no he, see i i kind of that's why okay he didn't admit to it he just kind of was like more or less more or less it was just like well the pre- cops didn't say it like i yeah, did you know it's beautifully shot and everything though, it's wasn't fantastic it? It was like but apparently it wasn't supposed to happen like that your man's camera morris's camera just broke down so he had to do a tape recorder of it so it's kind of one of those classic he things, filmed so. it or he knew on the day that he couldn't no, the, he went to go and interview him, but the camera, and the broke, camera didn't work. So brilliant. he just had to have the tape recorder, but it works fantastically. Yeah, it it, it creates a bit of separation from the whole thing um, and everything. Yeah, so it's a it's a five out of five from me. Yeah. You can't fault it. It's incredible. Uh, David slightly Turpin, more enjoyable because it's shorter. Yeah, like, da- yeah, exactly. Yeah, well, it's a full. It's a solid. They they tell the full story mm-hmm. in however many minutes. So um, yeah, David Turpin put on our Facebook page. Is this one of the best documentaries ever? And mm. Um, and again, it's it is the kind of thing. It's in the BFI list. It was number. It's in the top ten. Hoop Dreams mm-hmm. is in the top twenty, and they're only there's so few ones from the last kind of twenty years. Yeah, whatever. So, uh, yeah, great. There Do you want to tell us about Watch with School number five? Yeah. So we're coming into the month of October, and we're not. Our first watch this bill was actually horror, I think. So yes. this is like our year anniversary. But we're not going to touch on horror. Um, the Lighthouse. So they have a Kubrick season from the 24th of September to the 28th of November. And they have a rake of films. So in October, so you can watch them, you know, on Netflix, maybe certain things on telly if you have it. But maybe you can pop along to the Lighthouse and experience it on a cinema. So we're going to look at uh, Paths of Glory. A cynical take on the injustices of war, not only a great companion piece to Full Metal Jacket, but also a staggering drama in its own right. Kirk Douglas gives a tremendous performance as an officer assigned to defend unjustly accused soldiers. Yeah, and then I picked The Killing. I think, because our thing with this was, there's no point doing, let's watch, you know, the same ones that we've watched. Like, cause his yeah, because everyone, we've done The Shining to the Death and The Clockwork Yeah, Orange and 2001, and... Full Metal Jacket, The Shining, Doctor Strangelove are these seminal kind of classics and mm-hmm. there's no point kind of not that there's no point talking about them but yeah. you know so it's kind of we fun aim to, to kind of find films that we haven't seen and people mightn't be aware yeah. of and have you do you think you've seen Paths of Glory no I've seen the kind of classic clips from it and stuff yeah. but no definitely I definitely haven't. haven't and then The Killing I'm a bit uh, iffy on whether uh, but I love the TV show uh, so this is going to be great you know wait yeah. a minute it says here it's not the oh it's not the same thing oh man uh, this classic heist film is a lean, no-nonsense thriller which sees a recently freed crook attempt to rip off a racetrack, but all goes awry in this simple but effective film noir. Great. Cool. So that's playing Wednesday 1st of October at 3.30 and 8.30 and Saturday the 4th at half three. And then Paths of Glory is playing on the 8th of October and the 12th of October, both at 3.30 mm-hmm. on those days. So they're not exactly getting the full uh, special treatment. No. But uh, I think it's all tying into like 2001 is coming out at the end yeah. of the month, but it's coming out as a BFI, I think, kind of re-release. So it's going to be in all the cinemas. So they're kind of tying it into that. Yeah. And a brand new re- remastered digital print. Mm-hmm. Which again, you kind of need something. I think 2001 is one of those that's done the rounds for a long time. So it'll... Yeah, will it be an IMAX? Hopefully, there was That'd a be no joke, though. That'd be pretty cool seeing IMAX that big. Yeah, you know. Yeah, so that'll be fun. So, if anyone's listening and they want to watch The Killing or Paths of Glory or indeed any of the Stanley Kubrick films, please uh, send us a tweet. Tell us what you think of them. Um, yeah. All right. 
Jonesy, Carlo, uh -huh. William, the Hanging Committee. You approve? Did well, Aunt. Grazie. Prego. <laughs> Would everything be to your satisfaction, Mr. Turner? It is indeed, Mr. President. There's a splendid cornucopia. Cornucopia. Good morning, Turner. Good morning to you, Mr. Leslie. Ravi. Good morning, Mr. Turner. My other piece, where is it located? We placed it in the anteroom. The yeah. Yeah. Um, my pick for the month of October is Mr. Turner, Mike Lee's next film. Mike Lee, uh, last couple of films have all been brilliant. Vera Drake in 2004, Happy Go Lucky 2008, and Another Year in 2010. So he's slowing down a little bit in terms of his uh, productivity. But It's this not his last film or anything, no? No, he's not doing the Ken Loach thing. I don't think he would tell us, would he? But uh, maybe he would. Um He's uh, 71 anyway, so yeah, I suppose he is sort of slowing down a bit. But so anyway, it tells the story London, no? of, uh, no, it tells the story of the painter, J.M.W. Turner, of whom the prize is named after. Uh, so I'm going to pick 71. Uh, it opens on the 10th of October and it stays, stars Jack O'Connell, who's a fantastic kind of up and coming actor. And he plays this uh, soldier who's sent over to Northern Ireland in 1971. And he kind of gets caught up in the whole, he, they're attacked and he gets, he escapes from the rest of his troops. So then he's on the run, kind of gets caught up in the whole unionist uh, Republican thing. Well, isn't it interesting though, these English and ended up in Start Up, which was uh, shot in Northern Ireland, wasn't it? And then yeah. this obviously shot in Northern Ireland. Wasn't I wonder it? if he heard about it kind of, or somehow to kind of put him onto it. Yeah. Um. It looks fantastic. I only kind of saw the trailer for it last night before one of the films and it looks very it's got David Holmes Visceral music as well yeah and it's kind of thriller more so it looks more like a thriller sat to the backdrop but it's kind of but he, he amazing, loses his troop and has to move through the city in my head I'm like sounds like a computer game you can yeah. shoot that in any way so it's going to be interesting what like it's the director I don't know much about yeah that the north is still giving like you had Shadow Dancer a couple of years ago that atrocious um, film about the nail bomber that starred Oh, a Belfast story. That was atrocious, you know. Um, you have good Shadow Dancer was fantastic, though. And yeah, but for me, Shadow Dancer, I was just like, this could have been shot anywhere. Like you were saying, like this maybe could be shot anywhere. Like I don't know why it Shadow is in Northern Ireland. Yeah, so I kind of would relatable. be curious. Like for a UK that. audience, though, like I mean, they d they have but it's this still like you know forty years for on, fifty yeah. almost, providing these opportunities for storytelling. Yeah. Uh, excellent and uh, we wrap up with our seen it yeah so i noticed when i was kind of doing we were doing the prep for this podcast that a lot of the films have like a social kind of tone pride is very much about solidarity uh even though they're quite bad films equalizer and walk among the tombstones are about doing the right thing and um the guest the guest kind of, of for like her hero yeah. yeah you know um so this is a clip and the riot club is like why you don't want those elite horrible societies and you know we should look out for each other and stand up to that thing so this is a clip from the film version of the grapes of wrath which was a novel written by john steinbeck and it's henry fonda as tom joe giving his speech about solidarity and standing up for one another so we'll leave you with that and see you next month well maybe it's like casey says the fella ain't got a soul of his own just little piece of a big soul. The one big soul that belongs to everybody. Then... Then what, Tom? Then it don't matter. 
I'll be all around in the dark. I'll be everywhere, wherever you can look. Wherever there's a fight so hungry people can eat, I'll be there. Wherever there's a cop beating up a guy, I'll be there. I'll be in the way guys yell when they're mad. I'll be in the way kids laugh when they're hungry and they know supper's ready. And when the people are eating the stuff they raise and living in the houses they build, I'll be there too. I don't understand it, though. Me neither, Ma, but just something I've been thinking about. Give me your hand, Ma.